Message Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about LACC, please visit us online at lansingchurch.org. Today's message from Joel Nagel continues the Be the Church series and is called Risky Church. Um, awesome. It's so good to be with you. It was, uh, see you teens, have fun. Um, it was cool. Last week I was out of town um, for a men's retreat that I spoke at uh, in Spokane, Washington, Spokane Church. Actually, the retreat was in Idaho. How many of us have been to Idaho? That surprises me that any hands went up. Uh, I can't believe now that I can say I've been to Idaho. What if, um, it's uh, not a lot there, um, but it was, it was really cool. Um, this, this week, if you're wondering uh, why the, the crowd seems a little older, but we're missing our campus ministry. They're at a retreat this week, um, and they, uh, it just, so they bring a lot of like, excitement. Um, and so you guys got to fill that in with some excitement here, okay? Like prove, hey, we're, yeah, there we go. That, that, was, that was all right. Um, okay, uh, we're going to talk about something. You know, we've been talking the last few weeks um, about how we have a, a messy church. That's actually the way the church is designed because it's full of redeemed sinners uh, that still continue to struggle through life at times. Uh, and we've been talking about what it looks like to be a messy church, to be the church. And so uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about how this is the chapter we're in of God's story. We're in the church chapter. And so if you're all in with church, then you're all in in God's story right now. And we're waiting for the next chapter, which will be the restoration of all things. And that's going to be quite the finale. It's going to be amazing. Um, two weeks ago, and then Clay this past week. Clay, thank you so much. Awesome job. Um, we, we've been trying to paint a picture of the vision that God has for his church. What is the church supposed to look like? And so today, what I want to talk about is not what the church is supposed to look like necessarily, but more what are we supposed to be like in the church. Okay, so this is a message less about we and more about you and me, okay? Um, and so if you've ever wondered, like, what am I doing here? What, what should I do? Uh, and you probably wondered that right now. Like, what am I doing here? Um, what are you doing here? That's what we want to answer today. And this is a lesson I don't think I've ever heard a lesson preached on this before. And so here we go. We're going to talk today about risk. And so if you're taking notes, and I hope you are in some form or fashion, uh, we're going to talk about being a risky church. Ever thought about that before? Risky church. We're going to start in Luke chapter 10 uh, with this really important passage. Um, This was something that the, the earliest Christians held on to this before the Bible was even written. This, uh, this command from Jesus, how he sent out the 72, was a well-known passage. And if you wonder, how do I know that? I can talk to you about it some other time, but it doesn't fit in the sermon to explain it. Uh, but this is important stuff. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it says, After, actually, let me give you the slide if you're following along. Oh, there we go. Good job, guys. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. 
and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And we'll stop right there. So Jesus, he's, this is him calling these early disciples. He's already sent out his 12 with similar instructions. And now the 72 follow this. And he's calling them to go on an adventure that has risk. What they are about to do for Jesus is not safe. It is dangerous. I think it's so interesting that most people today would probably say that Christianity is safe, maybe even boring. Like it's the safe choice for your life to choose to be a Christian. People become Christians like, I need some more security, some more safety in my life. And there is certainly security in Christ in the eternal soul sense. But are we promised security here and now? Is that what we should be looking for in our faith? I don't see it in this passage. For a lot of people, being a Christian is like an insurance policy. I can't think of anything more boring than an insurance policy. I, said, how, I bet there are fewer people here that have fully read an insurance policy than have been to Idaho. Okay? Like, have you ever fully read that thing? No way. It's so boring. Nothing that the founder of our faith says in this passage sounds like an insurance policy. In fact, it sounds like the opposite. He lets them know up front that there's going to be great risk. He says things like, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. It doesn't take a whole lot of knowledge about shepherding to know that's not a good situation for the lambs. Right? The wolves are fired up, but the lambs are worried. Then he tells them, hey, don't take anything with you. It's like he's making it harder on purpose. No money bag. No backpack. No shoes. Don't stop and say hi to anybody on the road. If you are wearing no shoes and you stop and say hi to somebody, that person might give you shoes. We don't want that. So don't say hi to anybody. If you're like nice and you don't have shoes, people are like, hey, can I give you some shoes? If you don't look at people and don't say hi, no one's giving you shoes. Right? And then after all of that, he gives them instructions for rejection. It's one thing to have rejection as like a possibility, but to give instructions for when it happens, and it's highlighted here, this sounds like rejection is a probability, not just a possibility. So you'd think, and I think that we often falsely think like this, that if it's a Jesus mission, then it's guaranteed to be successful. We might even cite a lack of success for quitting something that we felt called to start. Must not have been God's will. It's too hard. Nearly half of the instructions that Jesus gives his disciples are about what to do when it doesn't work. 
Jesus is offering them a reality check up front that being a disciple, being a follower, is an adventure and it has risk. We're not supposed to be a group in search of safety. We're supposed to be a group of people who are ready to risk for Jesus. And so here's my question today. Is Jesus a risk you're willing to take? I don't know if you've ever even seen it like that before. When's the last time you took a risk for Jesus? What does that even mean? What what does it mean to take a risk for Jesus? Here's another way of asking that question. When's the last time you did something faithfully? Like you actually needed faith to do that thing. You had to pray and beg. You're like, I don't know, God. This doesn't seem right, but it probably is right, and, and I, I want to do it. But when you're on your knees, you're wanting, you're asking advice, when's the last time you did something where you needed to beg God for the courage to act? How long has it been since you did something for God that made you nervous, unsure? Jesus paints that picture of the disciples here, where you don't know how it's going to turn out. It's so important for us not just to have faith in Jesus, but to trust Jesus sometimes. Like, we're having devotional times. We're having prayer times. It's not like feel-good Jesus time. There should be some calling happening there, some, some like gut feelings like, oh, man. Is that what our walk with God looks like? I want to um, jump into this passage here in John chapter 3. I love this. So John chapter 3, 5 through 8, this is where, this is where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus, he takes a risk. He comes at night to meet with Jesus, and he's like, what's going on, Jesus? And he does not understand what's happening at all. It's pretty funny, actually, how the conversation goes. Um, But I'll read this to you. It says, Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And we love that, right? Because we love, we love baptisms. We know that Jesus is, you know, water and spirit, it all comes together. And this is, this is a part of how somebody becomes saved. This is an amazing moment that Jesus is teaching Nicodemus. We love that. But I wonder how much we focus then on what happens after somebody gets baptized. When the spirit is living, the spirit of our God is living inside of us, Jesus gives us a hint of what that should look like. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. So we know how to get born again, but do we know how to live a born-again life? It should be a little harried, a little, like, windblown. Like, you, I don't wake up with too many bad hair days anymore, uh, but think about, like, whoa, what happened? It was windy out there. What, what's going on? You know, you, you see the news, the hurricane, we don't have hurricanes, and that's awesome. But you look at like, stuff that happens in the Caribbean, in Florida, tsunamis in India, places, you know, Sri Lanka gets, we support Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka gets wiped out like once every five years by the wind. And Jesus says, that's what life with me is like. That's what it's like when the Spirit is in you. You're going to get blown around. It shouldn't be safe. Are you living a spirit-led life? Another question I have for you this morning. Do you 
know about Jesus or do you trust him? Do you know about Jesus or do you trust him? In Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, he like corrects himself but leaves it. You know, when you're writing, you can just delete things. But that's not how Jesus writes, writes that, or how Paul writes that verse. He says, now that, you know, now that you know God, or rather are known by him. And he leaves it. Like, now that you know, wait, wait, that's not, knowing God isn't the important part of this. It's that he knows you. Because we don't ever fully know God. That's actually not the most important thing. Trusting God is the important thing. And that's a really important distinction. And a lot of times, wanting to know about God or know God and trusting God actually work against each other. And I want to explain this to you. If you're like, what is going on? I don't understand this. I wonder how many of us are trying to know about God instead of trying to trust God. They both sound right, but they end up with very different results. I want to take you uh, on an adventure right now with the disciples. In Mark chapter 4, uh, 35 through 6, 6, I encourage you, please read this this week. Picture each part of it. Dream with the disciples. Imagine you're one of the disciples in these stories. I'm just going to summarize them for you right now. Uh, but four things happen. That's these, the four pictures that you see there. Um, and, then a, and then a fifth thing happens, which we'll, which we'll um, look at more in depth in Mark chapter 6. Mark, Mark chapter 4, verse 35 Things, are, things seem to be going fine. If you're a disciple of Jesus in Mark 4.34, you're like, okay, this is different, but it's, it's, it's okay. And then Jesus out of nowhere says, hey, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side of the lake. Like, okay, cool, Jesus. Well, we're sailing today. Let's hop in the boat. They get in the boat, and you guys know what happens. The wind and the waves kick up. Jesus is taking a nap. The disciples are afraid for their lives. They wake up Jesus. He rebukes them, you of little faith. And then he rebukes the wind and the waves. And the wind and the waves listen to Jesus. And everything becomes calm. If you're in the boat with Jesus, you are now no longer terrified by the wind and the waves. You are terrified that there's someone who can command the wind and the waves in a boat with you. This is what being with Jesus is like. It's supposed to be a little scary. It's spooky season. You get in the boat with Jesus. We're in the boat with Jesus, amen? It's supposed to be a little scary. Okay, they land on the other side of the the sea. And it says they're immediately greeted by a a man who is demon-possessed, who has broken his chains. I imagine he's got the chains still hanging from him. He's naked. And he runs at them uh, yelling. Can you imagine getting, you're already scared. You're, You're like, I'm so glad we're getting out of this boat. Because Jesus can, t- can talk to the water. Um, and then as soon as you set foot, a man comes running with chains on him and screaming at you. And then he says, we are legion. Anybody who talks third person, like that's not the pr- a person you want to hang out with. Someone's like, oh yeah, what are you doing today? Well, we are going to the movies. You're like, who? We, we. Do you want to go to the movies with us? Like, no, that's not okay. Um, we're, that, that's not awesome. That's scary. Uh, and it's because he believes and he has many, many demons inside of him. So the demons are talking to Jesus. Jesus commands the demons. They go into a herd of pigs. They, they, the pigs all go down the hillside. The townspeople are not like, wow, you just healed a demon-possessed man. That's amazing, Jesus. They're like, 
wow, you need to go back into your boat and get out of here. We do not want this kind of power in our neighborhood. And the disciples and Jesus get back into the boat. They had to be like, really, we just came across the sea in a storm for that, and now we're going back again? They go back again. Immediately, they get out of the boat. And, and uh, synagogue ruler's servants come up and they say, hey, the, the synagogue leader, Jairus, his, his daughter is, is dying. Can you come? Jesus is like, yeah, let's go. They come. There's huge crowds. As they're walking to go heal the synagogue leader's daughter, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years touches Jesus on, his, on, the, on the edge of his cloak. She's healed. And Jesus feels the power go out of him, stops the whole thing. The disciples are like, how can you possibly know you healed somebody? The crowds are so crazy. Everyone's touching you. How do you know this? He stops, has a conversation, tells her about how awesome her faith is. And then as he's talking to this woman, they come up and say, don't worry about the synagogue leader's daughter. She died. He's like, what? No. Let's, let's keep going. They keep going. They get to the house. It, he walks into a funeral. They're mourning. They're weeping. Jesus goes in. He looks at the girl. He says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she gets up. And then the last thing he says in Mark chapter 5 is, hey, don't forget to give her something to eat. They're so shocked. This girl is alive again. He's like, hey, make sh- in your shock, she's probably hungry. Being dead is, a, is a tough. Uh, make sure you give her something to eat. That's how that, that, it's like, this is one of my favorite sections in the whole Bible. This is what it's like. You want to hang out with Jesus. You want to be a disciple. You want to know what church is supposed to be like. You better be ready for some powerful stuff to, to happen. It's not supposed to be boring. You should expect the unexpected. Being a Christian is an adventure with Jesus Christ. It is not safe. It is risky. The message that Mark is trying to convey in these chapters is that you can't fully comprehend Jesus. But you can trust him. You can't understand everything about God, but you can know that he's powerful enough. When you choose to go on this adventure with Christ, and look at the people we get to adventure with here, you know he's powerful enough that it's worth the risk. When the 72 return, the, the first passage we looked at, uh, they understand how powerful Jesus is. They say, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus says, ah, you know, that's cool. But your names are written in heaven. That's what really matters. Do you trust in a Jesus that is as powerful as the gospel proclaims? Is your Jesus a little safer? Because if you do, then it's going to be amazing at times and terrifying at times, and you're not going to know a lot of the time, but you're going to do stuff anyway that's going to be so challenging but so good. That's what this life is supposed to be like. None of that sounds boring to me. If you trust him, not if you know him, but if you trust him, you can overcome that thing you've never been able to overcome. You can't do it. You're just on the boat with not enough faith. But he can overcome anything, and he's your partner in this adventure. Will you trust him enough to take the risk to get open, like really gut-level open with what's going on in your life? That's risky. 
Will you trust him? I know you want to know how that's going to work out. You don't get to know, but you get to trust. Will you trust him enough to take a risk to try that thing, even though you tried it already and it failed the first time? Will you try it again? Will you trust him enough through your sickness, like that woman touched the edge of his cloak? Will you trust him enough to revive things that have died, dead relationships, dreams that have died? Will you trust that he can raise the dead? Will you trust him enough to cast out your demons? He's powerful enough to do all of those things. Will you trust him? Or will you keep trying to know him? There's a difference. So often we pray. People ask me to pray for them all the time. They they say, uh, I I want you to pray that I can have clarity. That is not the prayer. That is a prayer of wanting to know the future. You don't get to know that. You probably couldn't handle it. Okay? You get to trust in a powerful God. People, we pray, we pray this. I pray this. God, I want to know your will. God's like, no. Read the Bible. <laughs> There's a lot about that in there. But you don't get to know. You get trust. And a lot of times those prayers actually get in the way of us trusting. I don't know your will, God. I just don't have clarity. And we don't act. We stay safe. We want a Christianity without risk. That's not what the early Christians experienced. I want us, let's look together in Mark chapter 6. Come on. Mark chapter 6 this is the very next thing that happens to Jesus, who, is, who has just been proclaimed by Mark as the Lord over nature, the Lord over darkness, the Lord over sickness, and the Lord over death. Here's what happens next. It says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is this, the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? That, those are some, like, some good questions, except for here's the heart behind those questions. Is not this the carpenter, son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He went about teaching, went about the villages teaching. Um, I love that he could do no mighty work, but he's like so powerful. He's like, well, there are going to be, definitely a few people are going to get healed anyway because that's how powerful he is. But Jesus, he goes to his hometown. He goes to his own people, and he's rendered nearly powerless. Why does this happen? Right after all the power he's just displayed? Because they think they know him. He marvels. Marvel's a big word in our our world today, right? And we want to marvel at things. Jesus, it says, marvels at their lack of faith. They think they know him. They want to they figure it out. They're like, how is he doing these things? Not like, how is he doing these things? This is amazing. They're like, how is he doing these things? 
we know him, and nothing happens. Talk about risk. There's a great risk that we, like the people of Nazareth, have hopped off of the adventure some time ago. We used to be out there taking risks out on the field, and now we sit in the stands, no longer seeing miracles in our lives. The miracles don't come from the safe places. The miracles might get us to a safer place. We don't want to be sitting in the stands, eating popcorn, trying not to spill our drink. There's so much adventure out there as disciples of Christ. So many people that we could impact. It's scary every time. It doesn't get unscary to share your faith with somebody, to offer to help somebody who's struggling. But it's so, so good. We have to make a decision. Do you want a predictable Jesus or a powerful Jesus? People of Nazareth wanted a predictable Jesus. I think if we're honest with our hearts, that's what we want a lot of times as well. There's a way you can tell, is is your life predictable? Is your life powerful? I want us as a church to be a church that takes risks that require trust in an all-powerful Savior. What is God calling you to risk? What adventure does Jesus want you to join him on? You know, a couple weeks ago during the sermon, I uh, made the offer. I said, hey, on Zoom, I'm going to teach you if you want to do a Bible talk. Uh, we're going to do a Bible talk about zombies and uh, and this is the, here's the crew that joined in there. Everyone's just looking awesome. Sorry to put your pictures on there. Um, and, uh, but it was so, I was so encouraged. People did, and, and people are doing, we're talking about Christian zombies, which really fits with this actually, like talk about bored people, Christian zombies. We don't want that. Um, we're, I want to put the offer out there again for November. I have a Bible talk. Uh, actually, it's a Bible talk. Um, and it's the cure for complaining. And if you want, if you feel like, man, I want to go to a, co- I want to invite my friends to go to a coffee shop and talk through this. I want to invite people to come to my house and talk through this. I want you to come talk to me. We're going to do a Zoom training this Tuesday again. I'll text out the link like I did last time. It'll be Tuesday night at, from 8.30 to 9. Anybody here, you guys can, you are capable of leading this and inviting your friends to it in the month of November. Um, it's, it's an awesome thing. So I want to encourage you. It's a risk. It's a little bit of a risk to invite people to come and learn about what the Bible says about not complaining. Spoiler, there's going to be poisonous snakes in this lesson. It's really good. Um, you got this, okay? What's the Holy Spirit been calling you to? What hard thing has been making you nervous? Those are the things I want you to pray about this week. Here's what I want to close with. Um, this, is, this might sound weird. It's so true, though. It's so true. Rejection is okay. It's okay to get rejected. Uh, I'm not saying like seek it out. That's like a little weird. Okay? But do, it's okay to do things that might not work out. Okay? Um, a, a few months ago, I, I preached and I mentioned the race that Pat and I uh, were going to do in September called the Margie Gisick um, and, uh, and remember I showed the, the thing with all the finishers, and if you don't finish, you're labeled a hashtag quitter. And that's what you have to put. Okay, and so I want to tell you how, how this went. We did the race about a month ago. Um, it was 63 miles um, in the hills of the Upper Peninsula. 
And the word Margigisic, it, it's indigenous for bad day. And that is certainly what it was. And their slogan is find your limits. And it also was that. Um, and uh, it's, it's like, it's called, it's been called the hardest bike race in America. They let 666 people join this bike race, like on purpose. That's the number. Then they decided to add runners to it. And Pat and I decided that we were idiots and jumped into that. Okay. Um, and it was so terrible. It was so terrible. But also it was so awesome because of how terrible it was. Uh, there were 80 people who paid good money to do this running race. 38 showed up. 24 finished. That's how the, that's how the race went. Um, I'll show you this picture. On the race bib, it says, if you quit, suffer a mechanical, that's a bike thing, or begin crying uncontrollably, text hashtag quitter to that number. That's not like a cute little, oh, that's so cute. Uh, so, so many people, almost half the people who entered the race ended up having to text that to that number. That's how hard this race was. It's not like a joke thing or, or anything like that, okay? No matter what happens, if you don't finish, you're labeled a quitter on the results website. But there's redemption. Here's what happens. You get mailed a token that says unfinished business, and you're encouraged to sign up next time. Hashtag unfinished business. I do want to report that Patrick and I were counted among the finishers, um, which is cool. Yep, amen, amen. Um, we, uh, we crossed the line uh, tied for eighth place, uh, but uh, Patrick probably could have done a lot better. He was like dragging me for the last 20 miles through the woods, and I'm so appreciative of a good Christian friendship. That's what it's like sometimes, amen? Um, the, the race director, there was a token that, that the people who did our race didn't receive, and so he, sent, he mailed that out to us, and each, each person got, Patrick got a card, I got a card with this thing, and, um, and mine said, what will you do with what you learned about yourself at the race? Who can you help find their limits? Who can you help find their limits? I love that. Adventuring with Christ, taking a risk in your faith. It's not a solo activity. It's a church thing. We're on this faith journey together. Uh, my, my, thing, my life motto I've had written on my whiteboard the last few years is, do cool stuff, take people with you, help them do even cooler stuff. That's been my motto. I think this says it better. Um, who can you help find their limits? Okay. Um, the church, when you join the church, when you get baptized, it's not the end of an exciting life. You're like, well, I was wild living was great, but it's time to settle down. That is the opposite. We're here to help each other find new limits in Christ. We're to take risks with one another. Jesus sent the 72 out two by two. This is what we do together. Um, the card said one more thing, and you can see it there, and I love this. It said, there is no finish line. And if that's not the coolest way to describe eternity, then I don't know what is. There is no finish line. I can tell you um, I was so happy to see the finish line of that race, and my vision at the time was quite blurry, but I'm pretty sure that we crossed the finish line. Um, to get really graphic, I hadn't peed uh, for like 12 hours. Dehydration, stomach issues. I had a blister encompassing my left heel for 30 miles. Um, every single step was like a nail. Um, I got across the line. Patrick's like, that was great. Let's do it again. I get across the line, um, and I dry heaved uncontrollably for like five minutes. Like, 
almost threw up, but didn't. For five minutes, the loudest, it like, it like reverberated across downtown Ishpeming where this thing finished. The most disgusting noise you've ever heard in your whole life. Um, but here's the thing. That's not the finish line. There is no finish line. There's no finish line when you're adventuring with Christ. There's a line that we're going to cross at the end of this life, but the adventure literally goes on forever. And so maybe you quit in some area of your life. Sign up again. You're not a hashtag quitter. You just have some hashtag unfinished business. Let's go. Maybe you've been hurt. You know, a guy on a mountain bike crashed into a bridge during the race and had to have his jaw sewn shut for three weeks. After the race, he, he, but he's already proclaimed he'll be there next year. He got a hashtag quitter for that. It's so brutal. Uh, maybe you're like, you're, something about this message, at some point as I was speaking, as God was speaking to you, you got worried. That's the thing I want you to focus on this week because you're a lamb among wolves. You should be a little worried. It's okay. Because you've got a good shepherd. What risk is waiting for you? Start, you want to start something new. You want to quit something bad. You want to give generously to special missions. You want to start one of these Bible talks or Bible talks. You want to listen for that wild and whooshing spirit of God and get blown around a little bit. You want to find a friend to run, walk, or dry heave through this adventure with. It's all waiting for you, but don't be boring. I hope that you get yourself into some trouble because of this message that you trust in your all-powerful Lord to see you through. We're going to take communion right now, and all I want you to do is I want you just to picture Jesus in Gethsemane. This is who we're following. This is who we came. We started our week to worship Jesus Christ. And at the lowest moment of his life, he begged God, I don't want to do this. This is not safe. And he went through it anyway. It's like he was... He was like, I don't know if I have the courage to share my faith with the whole world because it's going to be so painful to be rejected, to be hurt, to share my faith with them. And look at that. That's, what, that's, that's where Jesus is at in this moment. He took the risk. I asked the question, is Jesus worth the risk? Jesus asked the question, are you worth the risk? Absolutely. That's who we're going to commune with right now. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we praise you so much that whatever we talk about that challenges our hearts, Jesus has been there a million times more. We do not have a God who can't relate with us. Uh, We don't have a safe or boring God. Uh, We have been called to adventure even to risk. And I pray, God, I, I, I want to hear stories because of this message, of things that were started, things that were quit that needed to be quit, of amazing and powerful things that you did because it couldn't have been us. Help us to be that kind of a church, God. Uh, we thank you so much that Jesus was willing to risk it all, uh, to die on the cross and then to see just how powerful you are as he rose him from the dead. We, uh, we, we take his flesh and blood in us now to remember how far he was willing to go. May we trust how he trusted you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God. Thank you.